James chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, the middle of verse 5 and verse 6. The message is entitled, The Tongue is Vile. The connecting relationship of chapter 3 to the material is found really in chapter 1 and 2. A man is to be slow to speak, James says, due to the fact that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the person with an unbridled tongue deceives himself having a useless religion. He said that in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 and 26. A man disdains those less than him and speaks forth insulting, dishonorable words, he said in chapter 2, verse 3 and 16. James goes from works as evidence of our faith to words as character of our faith in chapter 3. As he cautions those seeking to be teachers of the word of God when they have not been called or anointed for the task in chapter 3, 1 and 2. He says, don't go there if you're not called and anointed because of the awesome responsibility and accountability. Then James revealed the believer has the ability to control their tongue in chapter 3, verse 2, down to 5, the beginning. And now James, continuing, reveals the potential evil of the tongue. And it's characterized by three things. Let me read here the middle of verse 5. See how great a force a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire and a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. The potential of evil of the tongue is characterized by these three things. First, the destruction of the tongue towards others' lives. The middle last part of five. Second, the potential or the pollution of the tongue towards our own lives. The first part of six. And then thirdly, the degeneration of the tongue through life. The rest of six. The destruction, the pollution, the degeneration. Let's begin here with the destruction of the tongue towards others' lives. See how great a fire a little fire kindles. Notice James was about to make the sharp contrast to what he had stated and what he is about to say here in the middle of verse 5. He gave the positive potential Declaration of the tongue by a mature believer from the middle of verse 2 to verse 5. That's the mature believer. At the end of verse 2 there, James declared, This person does not sin constantly in word, controlling their tongue by the word and the Holy Spirit. So we're not preaching sinlessness, but a person who's mature, it's an exception, not the rule. 
James declared this person is also able to control other areas of their life from yielding to sin by the same word and Holy Spirit. This is the test. If you can control this little beast behind the ivory cage, then that's a good evidence that you got other areas under control. And then he gave two illustrations that you're very familiar with in verse 3 and 4 to prove the ability to control a powerful force by a much smaller object. In verse 3, the little bit that is put into the mouth of this massive horse is to cause them to obey and turn their whole body. And in verse 4, the little rudder that steers this huge ship driven by fierce winds to turn it at the desire of the helmsman. Now he gave the application of the bridal tongue of the mature believer at the beginning of five then. Though it is a little member like the bridle and the rudder, though it still has the capacity to sin, it can boast of great things by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word by the mature believer. He says there, too many commentators mistakenly interpret this first half of verse 5 for the evil traits of the tongue. It does not begin till the second half of verse 5. The first half is for the mature, the good one. The last half of 5 is a contrast of the evil that is in the tongue. Now notice James now turns to give the negative results of the consequences of an uncontrolled tongue. Here's the evil. He gave again another exclamation, see, which is also a command. It means, behold, to give an attentive ear to what he was about to say. It's the same word as indeed in verse 3. It is the same word as look in verse 4. Just translated differently. Now the tense is the imperative eris middle voice. And to us it doesn't mean much. But the middle voice means each person was responsible to obey. It's an individual relationship. God holds each of us accountable. If we're believers, then we have the capacity and potential for obedience. The command of paying attention refers to the next illustration. Notice he gave an illustration of horrible destruction. See how great a force a little fire kindles. The leading word, if you remember when we did our study in James, is picked up again from the first part of verse 5. The phrase, the tongue is a little member, is associated with the little bridle and little rudder. The tongue is identified as little, but a dangerous fire. Little, but very dangerous. This runs down to verse 12. From here on down to verse 12. Now notice the picture is a great contrast again. The picture is of a great forest of trees 
found only this time in the New Testament. The picture is of a little fire, spark or flame, there being a play on words between the two phrases here. The picture is of a great devastation. The huge forest of trees is destroyed by fire. The culprit or cause is the little fire, this huge forest. Little fire that kindles, it lights up the forest. The tense is the indicative present active, constantly ongoing. Jesus used the same phrase. He says, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled in Luke 12, 49. Judgment in that context. Now, though it is but a little spark notice or flame, once it finds its target, it consumes it all. Destroys it. An aged saint once said, quote, Many of us are like a pair of old shoes, all worn out, but the tongue. Wow. Every believer um, goes through the challenges of being civil with their tongues towards, first of all, their wives or husbands. To avoid sinful destruction because the home is the nucleus. The home is ultimately what God is after. Forgetting how we once spoke to each other with kindness and with affection prior to being married or first being married. Taking each other for granted, not realizing how much each does for the other how we could not do without each other. And rather we should be expressing thanks and appreciation of that. Being vindictive over issues, not forgiving, and becoming bitter and resentful, and expressing words of anger, insult, and words that cut deeply. This is the potential of every person in this room. And he's talking to Christians, not non-believers. Proverbs ten nineteen says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Every day we get a new opportunity to express the right words to our mates, children, family, friends and strangers accompany with the right attitude rather than those that will um, tear down I'm not speaking about the humanistic concept of you've got to give two positives for every negative that's stupid examine Genesis God begins with a negative you can't eat of that tree God's not a psychologist he's the creator <laughs> so we don't want to go down that route We do this in order to communicate our love for each other. Right attitude. Right words. To encourage one another. To praise one another. To express caring concern and affection to one another. 
Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. The tongue based on its sinful state is absolutely destructive. The tongue takes away the peace of people. Listen, Psalm 10.7. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. The tongue is a challenge to everyone. Listen to David in Psalm 39.1. David said, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Now, the, the wicked probably deserve those words. But David says, I can't go there. Wow. The tongue is treacherous. Proverb, or Psalm 120, verse 1 and 2. In my distress, I cried to the Lord Yahweh, and He heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord Yahweh, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. It's treacherous. The tongue can not wait to spew out its venomous words. Proverbs 16.27 says, An ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. The destruction of the tongue towards others' lives is no exaggeration here by James. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about real life. Notice, secondly, comes the potential of the tongue towards, uh, or the pollution of our tongues towards our own lives. It pollutes us. Beginning of 6, notice James repeated that the tongue is a fire. Here for emphasis. Listen to his words. And the tongue is a fire. He picks up the leading word again after his style of Paranesis here as we share it in our study of James. Being true to his, this style, he continues the topic of faith and words. He's gone from works to faith. From faith to words. Now the tongue being the vehicle of the words of man. Man is the only part of God's creation that has the ability to formulate and communicate with a language to others. There's not an animal on the earth that can do that. Oh, parrots can mimic and this and that, but they don't have any language. They don't articulate in words. They don't formulate a grammar and all that. Only man does. Notice he focused on the element of fire due to the destructive nature of the tongue. The use of fire under control can be beneficial and good. We all know that. You can warm yourself. It's pretty cold out this morning. <laughs> it's nice to put the heat around when you're driving in. You can cook food. You can ignite fuel for a source of power. And many other things. 
But the use of fire without any control is very destructive. You can drop a match in a garage and ignite and burn not only the garage, but the house and maybe the neighborhood. You can leave a campfire smoldering and the slow burning with the wind ignites it again. And that little, little amber destroys an entire forest, hundreds and thousands of acres. A little fire. Notice James related the nature of the tongue as sinful, a world of iniquity. Again, keep the context. He's speaking to Christians. The tongue was affected by the fallen nature of man, as you know. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them without sin nature, in a state of innocence is the only way we can describe it. They were creating the image and likeness of God without sin nature. But they were not perfect as God. In other words, they weren't the epitome of perfection or holiness. They're a creation of God in that state of for the lack of a better word, innocence, where sin nature had not come into their lives yet. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them with the capacity of choice, though. That means that that choice was as free to make the right choice as well as the wrong choice. When we speak of free will on our side... We're not that free because we're tainted by sin nature and by everything around us. So we don't understand that. But they didn't have those pulls on them as yet. They did no evil. They had not exercised their free will to disobey or to sin. And when Adam and Eve chose to disobey, then they obtained sin nature. To disobedience and personal knowledge of good and evil. See, they rejected the tree of life. Choosing the tree of good and evil. Yet both of them were in the middle of the garden. Close to each other probably. When Adam and Eve obtained sin nature, every part of their body became now a vehicle for sin. Being allured and attracted to darkness and sin. Being ready and willing to seek out to obtain and gratify their desires of sin. The forbidden. Now was part of them. The tongue, notice, follows the nature of the fallen world, James says here. The word for world, cosmos, refers to the ungodly fallen system of wickedness by the present humanity. We see evidence all around us. In fact, we are seeing it in our nation more than ever before. We have become more divided, more volatile than at any time in our history. Ungodliness is sin against God, violating the laws of God. This is the vertical axis. The word iniquity means unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is against one's fellow man. 
This is the horizontal plane. When the vertical is not right, then the horizontal will go chaos. They'll go crazy. You can't control it. The tongue is small, but a mighty world of wickedness and all wrong and evil. There is not one person in the world that does not have sin nature. No one can say, I don't have sin nature. I don't sin. The Bible says if we say that, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not a past generation, not the present generation, and no future generation. None. Now notice in 6, James revealed, the sinful tongue destroys being destructive first to the one not controlling his tongue. Listen to the words. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. He's not talking about the church body. He's talking about your body, my body, the other members of my body. He points out that the tongue is just one of many sinful members of our body. The various parts of our body are instruments and vehicles to commit sins. The soul comprises of the intellect, the emotion, and the will, as we've talked about often. The heart is evil, desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. It all begins in the heart. It's transferred to the thoughts. And it is expelled by the tongue. Where it starts is the heart. Guard your hearts, for out of it are come forth the issues of life. Bring your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. They come against the knowledge of God and put a door at your lips. Keep that beast behind the ivory cage. There's three steps, the heart, the mind, the tongue. The tongue is literally being set on relation to the other members. And the believer still has two natures, as you know, the old man, the new man. So there's always a choice which one I'm going to yield to, which one I'm going to obey. The believer must rely on the divine nature imparted to him as well as the armor of God. The believer must depend on the word of God and must be filled continually with the spirit of God. If we don't rely upon the divine nature and the armor and the word and the Holy Spirit, then we are saying that I can do it on my own. I can handle it. But if we could handle it, why do we repent and become saved? Notice he pointed out that the tongue holds such a position among other bodily members that bring a corrupting influence and affects the other parts of our body. The tongue defiles the whole body. The word defile means to stain. A spot or soil, a participle present active, continuously. Ephesians 5.26, 2 Peter 2.13, a couple of verses. The idea is one of corruption, but it's corrupting oneself because I'm not controlling my tongue. 
It first affects me. It affects my heart. It affects my mind. And it affects every member of my body. A person is shaping and molding their character. A person is hardening their hearts. A person by initiating with their tongue is provoking the other members of his body to participate in sin. The tongue sows to the flesh and reaps to the flesh. Flesh can only beget flesh. I presume you understand that. Flesh can never beget spirit. Flesh can never control flesh. It magnifies flesh. It's been said wise men talk because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. We're to choose our words well. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes, God's in heaven, you're on earth, so let your words be few. Just about every sin or work of the flesh begins with the use of the tongue through words. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness is initiated with deceptiveness and enticing words to achieve one's goal. But I thought you loved me. Hmm. Idolatry and sorcery are equipped by Soliciting with words, seeking out power, benefit, mystical experience, which is all the avenues of satanic powers. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath are expressed with vile words. Even when they come out, even your face matches your words. No one ever calls you a dirty, rotten dog with a smile on their face. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, and murders are all plotted and carried out by words. Drunkenness and revelries are the debauched and decadent conditions that bring about more vile and destructive words. Our nation is filled with these things. Paul says in Galatians five nineteen through 21, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is talking to Christians, not to non-believers. The only way for the believer to avoid the ensnarement and destruction of the tongue is yield to the love and the Spirit of God. 
in the same text in Galatians 5, 14 through 18, he says, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He's talking to Christians. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's a choice. There's a warfare. We're born into warfare. The pollution of the tongue towards our own lives is a daily verification when we fall into it. Notice, thirdly, comes the degeneration of the tongue throughout life. The last of six. James um, revealed that the tongue is the gateway to all the problems of life. Listen to his words. And sets on fire the course of nature. He pointed out that the tongue is the one being used to ignite and manifest the works of the flesh. The uncontrolled tongue lashes out. The rest of the members of our body join to carry out the will of the flesh. Again, it's not talking about the church, it's my body, my other members. The goal is the personal satisfaction of my flesh. Notice he identified this as setting on fire the course of nature. The context of this fire is uncontrolled fire, therefore it is destructive, not constructive. Thinking we are in control, we trust our flesh. Seeking to gratify our will and desires, we yield to our flesh. The course means what is round, a sphere. This is the only appearance in the New Testament. And then nature is the word Genesis, origin, birth or beginning found two other times in Matthew 1, 1 and 18. Literally it means wheel of life or birth found only this time in the New Testament. The uncontrolled tongue affects all human relationships and existence along with the other members of our body actively initiating the life of sin throughout life. If I can't control my tongue, then the other members are drawn into the participation to fulfill that goal. The verse sets on fire. It's a participle present active, ongoing constantly. If there's not a halt by the Spirit of God, by obedience, by the Word of God, then the flesh just keeps in control. But when they are controlled by the Word and the Holy Spirit, then this destructive pattern of fire can be broken throughout life. That's why we are commanded to continually walk in the Spirit. And we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Notice James revealed that the tongue is provoked by Satan. And it is set on fire by hell. But that doesn't mean we have an excuse. We'll see that as we move along, okay? Because there's a lot of people, well, he's saying, you know, you remember um, laughing, Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. Yeah? I'm sure the Satan's up in heaven sometimes saying, Lord, I didn't do nothing. I didn't, I didn't do that. It's you. It's me. He pointed out that the tongue is yielding to the will of Satan rather than God. The believer is able to be used by Satan to injure other believers. The believer is able to be used by Satan to injure the church. You remember Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Christ at Caesarea Philippi, the son of the living God. And um, Jesus confessed that it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed, but his Father in heaven. And then he proceeded to say that he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified and betrayed by, uh, by men. And Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, over my dead body, it shall not be so. And Jesus says, get the behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. We can go from spirit to flesh in one thousand of a second. Fast. None of us are an exception. Notice James pointed out that the tongue is yielding to the destructive plans of Satan. He's behind it. Satan wants us to lash out with our tongues rather than to control them. Satan wants us to justify ourselves by our words rather than acknowledge our sinful words. This is our nature. But yeah, but you don't understand. You don't have all the... But, but, but. There's always a but, right? Hmm. Satan wants us to say things that we cannot take back. Rather than keeping them behind the ivory cage. But we can never justify ourselves nor escape our personal responsibility and accountability for our words by blaming Satan. That we need to be clear on. James um, 3, 14 through 16 says, But if you have bitter envying and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. He's talking to Christians. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion of every evil thing are there. The reference to hell in our text is a very particular place for there are different words, as you know, that are used in the Bible for various locations. They're not always that clear in the English. The Hebrew word for sheol was the abode of the dead, of the righteous and the unrighteous, as we've seen often, or the grave, or the place departed spirits in the Old Testament. It wasn't very clear. Both the righteous and the unrighteous went to that place. Uh, Psalm 16.10, Isaiah 5.14, a couple of places. The word Hades in the Greek, then by the words of Jesus in Luke 16, tells us 
that um, that place of departed spirits of the Old Testament shield uh, was a twofold compartment. There was a separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, it, it, it's called the bosom of Abraham, the place of comfort, paradise. Uh, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 tells us that in 1 Peter 3, 19, 21, Jesus descended to the lowest parts and he ascended upon high. He led captivity captive, Colossians 2, 14. Um, after Jesus emptied the compartment of comfort, then that place of paradise was transferred to heaven, as we know. So the manner that a believer dies, they are instantly present before the Lord while their body is put in the grave. And now that place of Sheol or Hades is just a one full compartment of those who die without Christ. They go there waiting for judgment, for the white throne judgment. The words for the abode of fallen angels also and demons and Satan are several. You have the word Tartarus. The underworld of departed spirits, particularly of some fallen angels, uh, translated hell sometimes in our New Testament. They are so vile that the, they're, chain and, uh, they're um, held by chains in darkness, never to be released until the judgment day. Second Peter 2.4 and Jude verse 6. Then you have the bottomless pit, a deep gulf of, or chasm of the lowest part of the earth for the abode of demons where Satan will be bound during the thousand-year reign. Revelation 9, 2 and 11 and other passages. Uh, the abyss, the abuso, um, the bottomless pit. The word in our text for hell here is Gehenna. We've talked about it before. This is the place for the future punishment of all those who died rejecting Jesus as Savior. The origin of the valley of Hinnom is the source. The valley of Hinnom, as you remember, south of Jerusalem, valley of Tophet, where all the trash, the filth of the city was brought out. It would be burned. Um, Molech was worshipped there. There was constant fire. Uh, Jeremiah 7, 31, 32 speaks about it. Jesus gave the reference that um, of, of Gehenna would be where the fires never quench, the worm never dies, gnashing of teeth. And speaking about the ultimate judgment where after the white throne judgment, all non-believers are sentenced in proportion to their sin and their offense to God. One person put it this way. However sharp a knife, sharper yet is the human tongue. You would think the tongue would get dull with use and age. Just like knives, scissors, and tools. But it doesn't. It becomes sharper. If we don't control it. The priority to stop sin from starting from the believer. Is for the believer to put its halt to that tongue. 
Now, if we had no potential, God would not command it of us. Let me give you some things about the tongue. It is the means of sin. Psalm 39.1 It is false. Psalm 120 verse 3 It is flattering. Proverbs 6.24 It is perverse. Proverbs 17.2 It is lying. Proverbs 2.6 It is a source of trouble. Proverbs 21.23 It is backbiting. Proverbs 25.23 It is deceitful. Micah 6.12 It is muttering. Isaiah 59.3 It is two-faced. 1 Timothy 3.8 Paul put it this way. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Their tongues are an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Romans 3, 12 through 14, quoting Psalm 14, 3, 5, 3, and other portions of Psalms. That's the description of fallen man, fallen nature. The persistent disobedience to control our tongue will progress and defile other areas of our lives and those of other people if we don't control it. It'll provoke our thoughts to be selfish, unkind, and vindictive. Prompt us to act out these thoughts to more words followed by acts and deeds. If we think that it ends with words, we're deceiving ourselves. These lead to actions. It will push others to reciprocate in kind, and the situation only escalates, being lured out into the arena of the flesh of both individuals where we are defenseless. When we go, like you say in the world, toe to toe, when you're in the flesh and the other person in the flesh, you're defenseless. Absolutely defenseless. If one person is the spirit, there's some control. But when both are in the flesh, it's full-blown destruction. We're lured out into that arena. That's what Satan loves. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That's a choice, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I have every day, every hour, every minute. And doggone it, I can't blame anybody. No one but myself. It's a sharp reality. Very clear in Scripture. The enemy, Satan, is constantly trying to entice, allure, and to stumble the believer through and by his flesh. Satan, as you know, is the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The prince in the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. 
our adversary. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we are to be sober, vigilant. 1 Peter 5.8 Proverbs 26 says the following. Verse 21 says, As charcoal is to burning coal and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. 22 says, The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Verse 23, Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earth war covered with silver dross. Earthware covered with silver dross. Hmm. Verse 24, He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. Verse 25, When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Verse 26, the last one. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. The degeneration of the tongue throughout life is true for every generation. The protectiveness is to yield to God. Through His Word, His Holy Spirit. Through the armory He's given to us. To guard our hearts. To bring our thoughts in captivity. And to put a door on our lips. James has revealed um, the potential evil of the tongue. By the destruction of the tongue towards other lies not being an exaggeration. It's a reality. The pollution of the tongue towards our own lives is a daily verification. We're the first to know and experience it. And the degeneration of the tongue throughout life is true for every generation. Every person born is a sinner. Can't get away from it. I can't... um, Think of a better message to finish the year with <laughs> as we look towards the new year. Uh, little, little member, little fire, little spark, amber, 100,000 acres, 500,000 people, powerful for destruction. Lord, thank you for your grace and love. Lord, we just uh, ask you to forgive us. Cleanse us, and Lord, as we look to you, that we depend on you all the time. That we not trust in ourselves, our experience, the years we've walked with you, or anything else but you, Lord. And that we be so, so aware that in us dwells not one good thing. It's only by your grace and by your goodness, Lord, that you can make anything of our lives. 
as you're praying, if you're here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. If you believe that Jesus is God who became man, that he became sin for you and died on that cross for your sins and rose from the dead, the Bible says you can be saved. That's the only way that you can have a change of heart and a change of life. By his grace, none of us deserve it. What a way to start the new year as a new creature. Putting all things behind and having them fill you with His grace and His truth and to equip you for life that you might experience abundant life. If this is your desire, it's called repentance, that you see yourself as a sinner before God and that He alone can forgive you and make you His child. If you want to be born again, right where you sit, you can repeat this prayer, maybe over the internet, and you'll be asking Christ to forgive you and to make you a new creation. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you made that decision?